day four of symptom onset, um, that was the highest. So this finding has important implications to use of home antigen tests or home um, rapid tests. Welcome to the On Medical Grounds podcast, where you can find an authentic, audible blend of timely scientific and medical knowledge. Today on Medical Grounds, we will be speaking with Dr. Jennifer Fridiani. Dr. Fridiani is an assistant professor at the Nell Hodgson's Woodruff School of Nursing at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She is the lead author on a recent article published in Clinical Infectious Diseases entitled, The New Normal, Delayed Peak SARS-CoV-2 Viral Loads Relative to Symptom Onset and Implications for COVID-19 Testing Programs. Hello, Dr. Frediani. Welcome to On Medical Grounds. Hi, thanks for having me. In the abstract of your recent peer-reviewed article, you said the following. Early in the COVID-19 pandemic, peak viral loads coincided with symptom onset. We hypothesize that in a highly immune population, symptom onset might occur earlier in an infection, coinciding with lower viral loads. Please explain your reasoning for this hypothesis. Sure. So our reasoning was that at this point in the pandemic, most people would have developed antibody-based uh, and cellular immune responses, either already from vaccines or previous infections, and therefore have a shorter time between the initial infection and symptom onset because there would be a, a quicker and more effective immune response. How did you test for COVID-19 in this study? So we collected nasal swabs, much like you you do at home with home tests um, in the typical you know collection procedure. Um, we tested the sample using a Cepheid gene expert. That was the the name or you know, the brand of the um, PCR test that we used. And we you know, test for SARS-CoV-2. It also tests actually for flu A and flu B um, and RSV. So it's a multiplex. Um, and we used an essay that measures. Uh, in addition to the PCR, uh, nuclear protein antigen concentration, which actually gives us a quantitative measure of that same protein that your home test um, typically detects. Mm -hmm. So you had quantitative as well as qualitative results. We didn't have qualitative results. So what this um, second measure is, is, you know, you take a home test at home um, and it just says positive or negative. You know, you either have a two lines or one line. What we get is a number to that. So we can actually look and see, are you, you know, do you have a higher viral load or a lower viral load? Um, so it's, it's kind of um, the same as the PCR, but measuring a different thing. But we still get a number to that. That way we can analyze it. Okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. Who did you test in this study? So we collected, um, this is part of a larger effort. Uh, we evaluate diagnostic tests. So many of the diagnostic tests that you use at home and some that are point of care that are used in clinics, we've, we've evaluated in our center. Um, and so we used, um, you know, we recruit from the Atlanta area and it's, you know, pretty much all comers. In this particular study, we used adults um, that were coming for, you know, symptomatic testing. They had some kind of upper respiratory symptoms. Um, and then we, we um, took data from just the Omicron variant time point. So from April 2022 to April 2023 is where we kind of cut off our, our data. 
So we had 348 um, in our final study group. Um, almost all of them had a history of past vaccination or previous infection or both. And we, we also collected data on, you know, at what point were they from their symptom onset? So were they day zero, you know, the same, they came in the same day they started feeling symptoms or, or, you know, after that. Um, and then we asked for them, you know, the swab for testing. Mm -hmm. And what were the results? So we found that in the symptomatic adults that were tested, um, that viral loads peaked around day four of symptoms. So that means, you know, day four of symptom onset, um, that was the highest. So this finding has important implications to use of home antigen tests or home um, rapid tests. It suggests that some people who have actually have COVID may test negative at first um, if it's earlier on, and they may just conclude that it's another cold, you know, it's not COVID. And so our, our findings kind of give us this idea that maybe they should take a second test, that maybe that first test, especially earlier on, you know, day zero, day one, day two, um, it, what happens is the viral loads aren't high enough for that home antigen test to detect COVID. And so we're asking people to take that second test um, in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Okay. If your viral loads are low, are you actually contagious? So, <laughs> yes, you could be. Um, it's always important to follow precautions regardless when you're sick, you know, stay home, mask, um, wash your hands. Um, so it's, it's hard to say because, you know, we don't know when the point of infection will be exactly unless you know you were at a dinner party and, um, but the incubation period has changed through the different variants. So it's, it's hard to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Current recommendations say that someone can be contagious for 48 hours before symptoms and then for another five to 10 days after symptoms start or a positive test. Do you think your data is reason to reevaluate the contagion period, or do we assume that if someone isn't testing positive, their viral load isn't high enough to transmit? So basically, I'm asking you the same question again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer. I don't think we can exactly tell when people okay. um, with COVID are contagious or not. Um, so, you know, our, our push, our education here is, you know, go ahead and take that first test when you feel like you need to, but if it's negative, you know, take precautions, mask, wash your hands, you know, stay isolated and take that second test a few days later. So based on this research, what are your recommendations for at-home testing? So currently the FDA uh, recommends that if after a first home antigen test or rapid test is negative and symptoms continue uh, to repeat testing, and our findings are pretty consistent with that. Um, you know, what we just put a number on it. So we, you know, we had the data to show um, viral loads over time because we have such a large data set. Um, and that, you know, that peak is is around day four. So it, we, we still recommend kind of the same thing that the FDA is recommending by pushing people to take that second test, because I don't feel many people do. They take that first test and say, okay, it's not COVID, it's just a cold. Um, and they could be wrong. Well, I, I expressed to you that this is very timely for me because I've tested positive for COVID for the first time this week, and we bought some tests, and they're anywhere from 9 to $12 a piece. So there might also be um, 
people are trying to limit the number of tests because of expense. Mm -hmm. um, do you I think? Agree. Do you think that this is going to impact clinic and hospital testing programs as well? So I I think so. Um, so in in our area where we recruit from. Um, Clinics and in hospital ERs, they use rapid tests. Um, they don't generally go straight to a PCR because it takes time, right? So they want to know if the person in their waiting room is is positive or not. Um, so what I'm hoping is they get some information about where that person is in their symptom onset and suggest another um, test later if it is negative that first time. And my hope, based on you know what you just said, is that they provide that second test, hopefully, for for these people that that you know may not be able to get access to another test. Um, I don't know if that's being done, but that would be my hope. What would be the best way to educate the public about this new delayed viral load? So I think the best way to educate is our concise message would be to recognize the importance of serial testing. So to make sure that even though that first test may be negative, you wait a few days and take another test. And in between that time, take precautions, you know, stay, stay isolated or at least mask. Um, you know, we should all really have learned from, from this pandemic that we should stay home when we're sick, <laughs> even if it's just a cold. You know, nobody wants your cold. Sure. So is COVID the new normal for testing and vaccinations? So I think so. I think, it, you know, we're now in endemic um, as far as COVID. Our, our vaccines are becoming seasonal and, and annual, I would say, um, just like flu. Uh, but it's hard to predict whether we'll see, um, you know, if it's just going to be in the fall, winter season or if we may get, you know, those summer colds that we sometimes get. Um, so that's hard to, to, to kind of put a, a number to. But I do think that it's going to kind of fall into a pattern. Mm -hmm. Now that we've been through a major global pandemic and understand the needs and consequences, are we prepared to handle the next pandemic? So I believe we've learned a lot from this experience. Um, I've been kind of intimately involved with the NIH infrastructure and getting these tests out. And um, we know how to quickly mobilize the development of new tests, new vaccines. Um, we've learned a lot from our mistakes and, and how long things took. And I think we could get things done even faster next time. Um, you know, because you know, there probably will be a, a, a next time. But we know how to pivot. We know how to set up large testing sites. We know how to set up large vaccine distribution sites. Um, you know, everybody, as far as the public, no, kind of knows the drill. You know, if this were to happen again, those that choose to do so will, will you know, stay home, isolate, mask, and take all the universal precautions. <laughs> so hopefully it'll go a little smoother next time. Your research involves understanding the interaction between lifestyle factors such as diet and exercise with disease. Are there lifestyle factors which prevent the spread of infectious diseases? So there isn't any specific lifestyle factors that prevent the spread of infections, but there's certainly, you know, those are choosing to mask and staying home when you're sick, but there's certainly mm -hmm. uh, ways to keep yourself healthy. Um, you can, you know, to easily fight off infections. So regular exercise has actually been shown in, in association with COVID to um, prevent infections 
um, or delay or make it more mild um, infections. Uh, we we looked at data for um, with Kaiser Permanente, and there's been some other public surveillance data that support that. Um, and we know that those that regular regularly exercise um, are less likely to be infected. A uh, healthy diet with lots of fruits and vegetables um, is always a good idea. You know, I'm a dietitian dietitian by training, um, <laughs> so eating specific foods. Um, you know, won't help, but making sure that you have um, a lot of color on your plate, making sure half your plate is fruits and vegetables. That way you get all of those phytochemicals and antioxidants, um, you know, will help ward off infection, but also, you know, chronic disease and, and pretty much anything else we don't want to get. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we as individuals reduce the possibility of a new pandemic through lifestyle choices? Uh, I'm thinking of some... Um, uh, some things that happen in Asia and the Far East where people eat raw animals, they eat wild bush meat, things like that. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't think so. Um, more pandemics are likely you know, to happen uh, and eating a, a healthy diet and exercising as an individual is is not going to prevent the next pandemic, but you individually will be better equipped to survive it or deal with it. Um, and hopefully get a, a mild version of whatever comes next. Dr. Fridiani, thank you so much for taking time from your busy sp- schedule to speak with us. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for listening to the On Medical Grounds podcast. Be sure to click the subscribe button to be alerted when we post new content. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends and colleagues. At onmedicalgrounds.com, we provide perks to all posted podcasts by linking content so you can drink in more if you choose. This podcast is protected by copyright and may be freely used without modification for educational purposes. To find out more information or to inquire about commercial use, please visit our website onmedicalgrounds.com.